Well, good morning. Welcome, everyone, to Church 21 downtown. My name is Evan Walker. I am a pastoral apprentice uh, here for Church 21 downtown. And if you hear this name, Church 21 downtown, we say downtown specifically because we're actually in three other locations across the city. One church, multiple locations. I'm so glad you chose this one. Thank you. Feeling great about that. Um, I'm really excited. I get the opportunity to preach for you this morning. Uh, And welcome to all of you that call this church home. If you're new here, I'm so glad you're here. And if you're new to this whole church thing, I really hope today will be helpful uh, and encouraging and informative to you. Great to see some faces I haven't seen in a while. Um, Before I get into it, um, we want to encompass what we're going to be talking about today. And we'll carry on through the entire entire message. Uh, True wisdom is more valuable than anything on earth. True wisdom is more valuable than anything on earth. And how do we get it? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for what you brought Job through so that he could experience you more and so he can understand what is truly most valuable in this earth. God, I pray this morning that my words will be your words. God, I pray that you will encourage all of us this morning. You would challenge us by your word and ultimately we'll be more shaped and molded by you. God, reveal to us this morning where our sinful hearts may be trying to sway us towards our own version of wisdom. God, I pray that you will humble us this morning and show us truly what wisdom is and how we can live that in our lives so that we can be movers and shakers for your glory and the furtherance of your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to ask you guys a question. What do you value? What's important to you? What's worth something in your life? What what are you willing to work hard for? What are you willing to sweat blood and tears tirelessly to obtain? What do you treasure? What do you look at? What what do you obsess over in your life? Well, I've only had this thing. Oh, that'd be so awesome. What's your treasure? Ultimately, we're made to value certain things of others. It's, it's normal. It's in our nature. We're made to see this and, and understand that this is better than that and to have a desire for what's best. And we value those things, and that's not necessarily wrong. It isn't a bad thing. It can actually help us make good decisions. So imagine you're in the grocery store. I don't know about you, but for me, when I go to the grocery store, especially in like the tomato section, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to compare. I'm not going to be like, oh, I don't want to touch someone else's tomatoes. No, no, no. I want to be making sure I get the best tomatoes, even at Costco, when it's like, oh, they're all probably good. No, no, no. I'm, like, I'm, with, I'm there with everyone else. It's like, oh, this one's the best one because it feels right. Um, you're going to go into that store, and you want to choose what's best. You want a rotten tomato for your burger. That's going to ruin it, and people are going to be like, man, Evan's burgers are no good. And that's, that's good. It's, it's good to pursue what is valuable. And like I said, this, is, this desire we have is in our nature. But ultimately, this desire for what's best, for what's good, for what's most fulfilling, is only fulfilled completely in God. We'll get into that a little bit more later. I want to uh, start this with an illustration. Uh, have you guys ever seen those Typical classic street vendors, they're here in Montreal, they're in common tourist places across the world where they're selling like all this jewelry and watches and it's just out there in the open. Has anyone seen that? Everyone, yeah? A few of you have seen it. Everyone else is just like, I don't see you, I don't see you, I don't see you. If you look closely, you'll notice there's a lot of jewelry and what look like kind of expensive watches and you're like, whoa, how are they just like sitting there? It doesn't even have like a, a bat to beat people if they try and steal them. Well, the reality is they aren't actually expensive watches. If you were to go and you were to inquire, like I have, in other places in the world, it's like, oh, wow, this is awesome. Um, they'll let you know, it's like, oh, it, okay, well, it's not actually a Rolex, but, but, hear me out, it's a very high-quality replica. Replica. It's, it's almost just as good. It's, it's been designed just, just like the real thing. It's just like the real thing. In the back of your mind, it's like, oh, cool, cool. But there's only one problem. It's a fake. It's just not the real thing. It's not a Rolex. 
It's a replica for $20. Definitely some problem bound to come in your future with that. The reality is that it's just not the real deal. So why do we buy things that are replicas? I know people, I myself, have bought replicas. Why do we do that? Maybe because, well, we desire the real thing, but we can't afford it. Or we want people to think it's the real thing. I know Amazon sells an Apple Watch that does almost everything an Apple Watch does, but it's not an Apple Watch. We might be fooling people. We might even try and fool ourselves for a time, but ultimately the truth will come out that it's just not the real thing. Like the watch, it'll wear out. It'll start to wear down. It'll start to break apart. The inner workings will wear down, and ultimately it just won't last. It's because it's a fake. It's not the real thing. But the real watch, if any of you have been gifted with the opportunity to have a Rolex, I've never even touched one. Maybe someday. Anyone have a Rolex? I'm going to touch it. Um, <laughs> the reality is it's long-lasting. I was reading articles about Rolexes, and a diver found a Rolex off the coast of Australia that had been there for years and years and years, still working. All the, the brine was building up around it, but it wasn't rusted. The water hadn't leaked in. It was still working. That's insane. I can't even imagine that. It's because it's worth the money it costs. It's the real deal. It's, it's incredibly valuable. It's incredibly uh, worth the money. It's full of quality. There's just nothing like the real thing. I think that's something we can all agree on. There's nothing like the real thing. So I want to uh, traverse over into Job 28, starting with the first portion of uh, verses 1 to 11, to see a little bit more about other valuable things. Job 28, I encourage you to follow along with me in verse 1. Job says, Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth, and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit, the ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers and hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out from it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires, and it has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it, and the lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. So this passage details to us not just a whole plethora of valuable metals, gems, materials, but the excessive extent by which men go about to retrieve them, to get them, to refine them. It's not just about like, well, look at this shiny diamond. Do you have any idea how much time and effort has gone into making that little tiny precious diamond? We often place a high value on, on shiny things. Ooh, it's shiny. I like it. Why? It's not just because they're shiny. You could be like, oh, yeah, this is crystal. It looks nice. It's, it is nice, but there's nothing like diamond. There is an incomparable value to things like gold, sapphires, things like these. But why? Understanding this passage gives us a, a glimpse that through this tumultuous excessive hard work adds to the value of these things. They're not just beautiful, they're rare. They're hard to get. It takes work in seeking out in specific places. Let's keep reading. Job uh, in verse 12 to 19. But where shall wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, impressed as onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls, 
the topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Enter wisdom. We have this insane contrast of even a further extensive list of these valuable materials, essentially stacking them up on top of each other. And all of that, all put together, still can't be compared to the worth of wisdom. What does this say about these materials? In all their value and all their worth, they aren't the most valuable thing in all the world. Ultimately, there is something of far greater worth. I want to talk a little bit about the gold of Ophir because this struck my curiosity. Uh, After some study, uh, I found that What's given to us in scripture, we know, but the original location is very disputed. But what makes this gold so precious is because it only came from that one place. There was no other place to be like, like a Mexican restaurant. It's like authentic Mexican, authentic Mexican, authentic Mexican. You can spread that across the whole world. The gold of Ophir only comes from the land of Ophir. Where is that exactly? Some people say it's maybe in an area of Saudi Arabia. Other people say maybe more in India or Sri Lanka. But what we do know is it was known. That when you mention something, in comparison to the gold of Ophir, it's like, oh, okay, wow. That's the most valuable and pure gold that we have on earth. Like Quebec maple syrup, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Um, but this might not be connecting with you. I don't see a whole lot of gold in this room this morning. I don't see like big gold uh, necklaces, not a lot of drips, and that's okay. No shame. I have a ring. That's it. Um, so let's let's bring it into our modern day. What what do we value? What's what's something that we can relate to? Imagine an expensive car, like a really expensive car. Um, if you were here for the Formula One weekend in Montreal, especially downtown, you would have seen the city just a, a wave, a surge of all the most expensive and beautiful supercars that exist. And essentially, it was a, a, an impromptu parade of peak manufacturing, of pure uh, beauty and style. I, I like cars. If you don't like cars, that's okay. But I, I think that even you, if you don't like cars, that weekend you might be like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool, but whatever. One thing we know is these cars are extremely expensive. Um, A lot of work is put into them. They're finely tuned. Speaking of tuning, uh, we live not too far from where the highway goes into the tunnel. And oh my gosh, this is the loudest weekend ever. Because as they go into the tunnel, it's just like a roaring army of a thousand uh, uh, thundering horses and hooves uh, and, and men charging into battle, or like the roar of a lion mixed with thunder, finely tuned to this beautiful exhaust on both sides. These cars are really a a true feat of design and manufacturing. And even if they're not driving, even if they're just parked, you can just sit and stare at them and be like, wow, this is so cool. So that's, that's something we can agree on. It's very valuable. It's very worthwhile. I did see one with its whole bumper ripped off. It got into an accident. It's like, ooh, that's going to cost you everything you have. So it costs a lot. Compared to this high value, we're talking about these precious stones and metals. Other things that we might value might be really beautiful places like the Bahamas or, I don't know, northern Quebec. It's amazing. It's so beautiful hiking through there. Maybe it's uh, a famous singer who has a voice, a voice of an angel, or uh, an architect in Barcelona designing incredible buildings, or a painter painting things that can't even be known by a price, priceless. There's so many things in this world that we could look at and be like, oh, that's valuable, that's worth a lot. And if we don't think about that a whole lot, that's fine, but it's something that we know to be true. But wisdom is of far greater worth than all of these. If you're in a place right now where you're pursuing valuable things, you're pursuing your own worth, I hope today you'll be able to have this contrast that wisdom 
is even greater than that. It's not wrong to want to be successful and bring glory glory to God through that. But if we are not pursuing wisdom, we are missing out on the most valuable thing in all of the earth. Money can't afford to buy wisdom. You, You could spend all your money on all the books in the world, get a great education, listen to podcasts, anything. It's not going, you can't just buy it. You can't just, oh, there it is, boom, I have wisdom. Keeping along with the uh, tune of of money, um, imagine uh, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, uh, Bill Gates, and essentially all the wealthiest people in the world all got together, piled all their money up, pulled it in one big pool, and thought, okay, we're going to buy the moon. We're going to do it. See the moon? We're going to buy it. It's not possible. It doesn't matter how much money they put together. You can't just buy the moon. No one owns the moon. You can't buy it. And not to mention, it would be a little suspicious, like uh, evil villain, supervillain material, if they don't already have that status already. Let's be real. So thinking about wealth, it's interesting that Job's mentioning all these things. He seems like he knows what he's talking about. Well, he did. If you remember in our previous um, sermons on Job, he was super wealthy. He was the wealthiest guy in that whole area. So if he had anything to say about wealth, Job, Job was a person that understood that. Another person in Scripture who also understood that was Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 14 to 22 and 26 to 29, uh, it extends and gives us a portrayal of Solomon's great wealth. I'm going to just read this for you really quick. Solomon had a yearly increase of 666 talents of the gold of Ophir and more from explorers, merchants, kings, and governors, 200 large golden shields made of 600 shekels of gold. Does anyone know how much 600 shekels of gold is? Does anyone have even a a brief estimate? It's like 32,000 carats of gold. This is a huge, really heavy, really, really expensive shield. He had 200 of them. Rich guy. He also had 300 golden shields made of three minas of gold. This giant ivory detailed throne overlaid in gold and all the cups in the palace were gold. If you come to my house, I'll probably give you a red plastic cup and then you throw it out. If you go to Solomon's house, he's like, please don't throw out the cups. They're gold. Uh, That would have been really cool. He also had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen with the finest horses. Solomon was super wealthy, but there's something very interesting about Solomon. In all his wealth, that's not what he valued the most in his life. Let's look at what he did. Solomon was not only wealthy, but he was also wise. If you've read the Bible and you've heard sermons, you know we often think of Solomon when you think of wise people. He understood that, that wisdom was far better than riches, incomparable. In 2 Chronicles 1, verses 1 to 13, God essentially gives him this opportunity. He says, ask whatever, whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. Solomon thought it through, and he asked for wisdom because he understood its worth. He could have asked for anything. It's like a genie in a bottle kind of situation. If God's like, hey, man, what's up? Just want to pop in? First of all, he'd be like, oh, oh my gosh, it's God. And he's like, what do you want? I'll give it to you. <laughs> a lot of us would be like, oh, my school debt. Can you take care of that? Or a wife or a husband, <laughs> please, or a house, whatever. Infinite, wis- uh, infinite wis- uh, um, uh, riches, uh, more wishes. God's not a genie. Um, Solomon, understanding what was worth more than anything on earth, he asked for wisdom. Ironically, God, seeing Solomon's heart, also gave him riches and made him the richest man in all of the earth. Solomon understood what was truly valuable. I want to read uh, first, uh, sorry, Kings, first Kings uh, 10, 23 to 24. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom, and the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. I don't know if you caught that, but he was so wise that he was famous for being wise. Like, what do you want to be famous for? 
How cool would it be to be famous for being wise, a wisdom that came from God? That's amazing. The whole earth came to hear his wisdom. So he truly was a real man of wisdom. His leadership was influenced by his wisdom, not his wealth. A wisdom that could only come from God. Understanding there was no comparison. The wisdom was worth the most to him. Solomon understood this, and Job knew this. But what is wisdom, and where do we find it? Where do we get it? Let's keep reading. Verses 20 to 27 in Job chapter 28. From where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. About it in death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure. When he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. I'm going to stop right there. The answer is God. Surprise. God is the founder of wisdom. He's the creator of wisdom. He's the, he's the supreme um, manufacturer, planner of wisdom. He's the source. God is all-knowing. He really is. We believe, as Scripture teaches, that God was our creator. He was the one that designed the weather patterns. He was the one that decided how far the waters could go and where they stopped. And we met, as mentioned again in this passage that compared to all these things of worth, wisdom is still far greater and valuable and it, because it comes from God. So when we think of a wise person, often we think of a, a gray-haired old man who's like really brilliant, walks with a cane. I mean, I think of that. Um, I want to mention two people, Aristotle and Einstein. I think we can agree those are very prominent, wise guys. But in all their wisdom, in all their accomplishments, and everything that they wrote, everything they did, they had their limitations. And they ultimately missed out. They missed out on something that was far greater than any of their intelligence. They missed out on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus could have given them true wisdom, eternal wisdom, I want to answer some questions uh, in verse 20 and ask a few things. Uh, what, it, what wisdom is and what wisdom isn't? What exactly is this type of wisdom we're talking about? Am I talking about someone like a shrink or someone who's really educated or someone who has a wealth of experience? This type of wisdom that we're talking about today is, is closer to something that means to be skilled in good sense. This is our terminology that we have for the word wisdom, to be skilled in good sense and to also have a wealth of insight, discernment, and knowledge. But the wisdom that comes from God is not, is not like that. It's a little bit different. It's not something that we can just study really hard for and obtain. Like I mentioned before, you could try as much as you want, get degrees, do everything, podcasts, books, documentaries, be full of so much information up here. But a plethora of knowledge does not equal true wisdom. Another way of looking at this would be to call it street smarts. I don't know if you guys grew up, I know I did, where it's like, oh, that person's like book smart. It's kind of like a mean way to say someone's dumb, but like smart in other areas. Be like, oh, they don't have street smarts or like common sense. Did you know that common sense isn't as common as we think it is? So street smarts, if we're to compare that to wisdom, is similar to having a wealth of experience. You've been there. It's like my first rodeo. I've been there. I know, I know what happens. You have insight because of what you've experienced. An example of that would be Mr. Miyagi from The Karate Kid. Anyone seen that? Karate Kid, sweep the leg. You're a young generation. Has anyone seen Karate Kid? Okay, 
Good. <laughs> if you hadn't, that's your homework for today. Um, you don't have to watch it, but you should. Wax on, wax off. Um, but Mr. Miyagi, when you first see him, he's portrayed as this kind of feeble man, and some people like have some interesting thoughts about him. He's not necessarily this prominent, like, oh, go to this guy, he's so amazing. This kid just wanted to learn karate, and as you get to see more about Mr. Miyagi, you get to understand that he is truly a very wise person. He understands a lot. He has a lot of patience. He's experienced so much in his life, and he has become a master in his craft. But true wisdom is better than even a Mr. Miyagi type of wisdom. Another thing this passage talks about with wisdom is that it's elusive. It's not something that we'll just stumble across. Like I mentioned before, we're not going to be walking along one day and there's going to be a crack in the sidewalk with something glowing and then we touch it and like, achievement unlocked. You now have wisdom. Yes! It's not like that. I used to pray that way. God, please just, just give this to me. And God's like, that's not the way. I got work to do. I got work to do in your life and I'm going to refine you and, I, and through the process... I'm going to bring you into this. It's not just like a ding, except for Solomon. Exception, Solomon. No amount of labor will allow us to reach it. You can find diamonds. If you wanted, you could all become miners and and search for gold and diamonds. I don't recommend it, but you can if you want. Maybe start with like metal detecting on the beach. Doesn't matter how hard you work, you can't just obtain wisdom. We know where to find valuable things on earth. We know where to go. We have people that we can talk to, ask questions. We have schools that we go to to learn. There's uh, TV stations we can go to to receive a certain type of information, but that's not where we're going to get true wisdom. That's where we get things we value on this earth. So where's the source of wisdom? This passage tells us God He knows it because he established it. So let's finally get into Job chapter 28. What is wisdom? And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. This is wisdom. This is the definition of wisdom. Fear of the Lord That is wisdom. To turn away from evil is understanding. No matter what the world tells you, no matter what you think, this is God's definition of wisdom, and he gets to define it because he's the one who made it. This is where it's found. This is the path to it. Wisdom is more valuable than anything. Like the replica watch, you could seek out an alternate form of wisdom. It's just not the real thing. It's a fake It won't last. When we compare God's wisdom to earth's wisdom, earth's wisdom fails on every account. There is nothing like the wisdom that comes from God. So let's talk about earth wisdom a little bit. I know this is a little bit of an older show, but do you guys know the show called House? Yes, a few of you love that show. I'd watch it with my parents on a Tuesday night. I'd come home from youth group and I was like, don't I make any time for House? Yes. Dr. Stuff. He was really smart. We can all agree that he knew his field well. He understood his practice, but it wasn't just all up in his head. He, had, he actually had insight. He had discernment. He's able to look at somebody and determine what seems to be your problem isn't the real problem. There's a deeper problem, and I can see that, and he would end up helping people recover and get well, and it was amazing. It was a cool show. It was exciting. It's like, What's it going to be? What is it? Tell us. But he had a fatal flaw. I shouldn't say fatal. He had a really horrible flaw. Pride. His issue was in all of his, his, his skill and his knowledge. He was like super aware of it. He was super prideful. He was very self-absorbed. And because of that, made his relationships difficult. He made his personal life difficult. In all his ability to perceive the issues in other people, he blatantly missed the issues in his own heart, his own 
personal character flaws. Ultimately, this type of wisdom and insight like Dr. House, this is Earth's wisdom. It just elevates you, makes you prideful. It's blinding. Earthly wisdom is fraudulent. It's puffed up. It's self-absorbed, self-focused. It's finite, cheap, and valuable. It's a replica. It's not the real thing. I don't want to try and make you feel like I'm bashing you today for getting education. That's great. But if that's your number one, you are pursuing a replica. You're pursuing something that's made to look like the real thing. Do you want the real thing or do you want the replica to be your number one thing in life? Another example is Frank Abagnale from the movie Catch Me, if you can. It's actually a really cool movie. I didn't watch it for the longest time because I thought, oh, it's old, it's dumb. Really cool. Totally should watch it. It's about this brilliant con man. And essentially, his whole life, he just fooled people into believing he was someone that he wasn't. That was literally his practice in life, was deception. And essentially, it was for his own personal benefit, not for the benefit of others. This is just like earth wisdom. It's deceptive. It gives you bad results. It won't ultimately give you what you're hoping for. It's nothing like true wisdom. So let's look at scripture to see what true wisdom really looks like. If you want, you can turn with me. Otherwise, I'll read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 to 20. I'll give you just a moment to check that out. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 to 20. It says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. God's wisdom. God's wisdom is far better. God's wisdom is humble. God's wisdom is about his worth over over focusing ourselves. God's wisdom is the highest value. God's wisdom is, is rooted in truth, not deception. God's wisdom changes lives. You can go from darkness to light by pursuing God's wisdom. Earthly wisdom is all about me what I can get, people's perception of me. What can benefit me? That's earthly wisdom. God's wisdom is all about him and bringing him glory. The wisdom of this world can be purchased. It can be acquired. It can be found. It can be sought out. But God's wisdom can only be acquired by his way and the path that he sets out. You can't buy it, and it can't be found anywhere else. We have to look in the right places. Job 28, verse 28, makes this very clear. Again, it says, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Job really goes for the jugular. Just to bring this all together, when he talks, he starts talking about this kind of, seems like a, 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 like a, a, um, a fable, um, uh, what's, what's the terminology for Lord of the Rings would be, the, the genre is uh, fantasy. Thank you. Job kind of brought me into a, a fantasy world for a moment, even though that's real life, talking about golds. I actually listened to this by, um, I think her name is Catherine Getty, one of the person, people that can read it to you. She's Irish, and it was so amazing. Surely, surely there's a place for silver. And I was just like so encompassed by like imagining myself like in Lord of the Rings, walking through these tunnels, finding the gold. And it's just like, wow, it's so amazing. Job's like, yeah, yeah, it's so cool, right? It's worthless. It's nothing. It's garbage. Wisdom is so much more valuable. Job sets us up. What a tricky guy. He sets us up, showing us all these amazing things. Then pop, right in the jugular. Wisdom is far more valuable. These things are trash compared to true wisdom. All these things he describes, 
They are precious things. They're desirable. And because of our sin nature, we can desire these things above God. If you're not familiar with the phrase sin nature, essentially sin is anything that we are thinking, anything we do, anything we say that doesn't align with God's desires. It's a, it's a flaw as a human that's in all of us. It's an imperfection. It separates us from God. And ultimately, anything, whether it's not a treasure for someone else, if it's a treasure for you, it can draw you away from God. When we're desiring wealth, it can distract us from true treasure, eternal treasure, eternal worth. And that's something that can happen if we're not careful. We can be working so hard pursuing whether it's success or your name or your brand or good grades or whatever. Whatever you're treasuring, that can become foremost in your life above God. But God is good. He doesn't just leave us in a not okay place. God gave us Jesus. And speaking of what's valuable, there's just nothing more valuable than what Jesus did for us. He paid the high price, a price that can't be named in comparison to these precious gold and rubies and gems. The price Jesus paid was for your sin. He went to the cross and he died for you. He rose again, conquering death, providing the way of forgiveness, the way of salvation by faith. And by Jesus, God gives wisdom to all who fear him and turn from evil. It's because of Jesus that this is possible. So let's talk a little bit about fearing God. What about turning from evil? Is this even possible? Is it possible to always fear God, to always turn from evil? What if we don't do that? Do we lose wisdom? Ultimately, yes, we will fail. We need help. On our own, we can't do this. Because of our sin nature, it's impossible to have true wisdom because we're separated from God. But by the way that Jesus makes through salvation, we have a new identity. We have a new heart, a new hope, a new purpose. God no longer sees our failures. He sees Jesus Christ. We're adopted into his family and we're given renewed minds. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12 says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand the things freely given us by God. Because of Jesus Christ, God gives us freely understanding. He gives us new hearts, new hearts that desire true wisdom, power to fight sin, humility to fear God. We're not alone because Jesus is with you. Jesus makes this possible. It's truly only Jesus that can help us Turn from evil and fear God. Without Jesus, it's just not possible. I don't want you to hear this morning, okay, here's what I gotta do. Gotta uh, fear God and turn from evil. Check, check, okay, I'm good. Ultimately, on your own, you will fail. It's possible with Jesus. Like the replica watch, if you try and do this on your own, you, you will have a fraudulent form of wisdom. You won't have true wisdom. So which do you want? Do you want the real thing or do you want what the world offers? The alternative wisdoms. Ultimately, that version won't last. It doesn't have eternal value. So I just want to wrap this up with a, a few follow-up questions of verse 28. Talking about fearing God, how do we do that? How do we fear God? What does that even, what does that even mean? It seems like such an outlandish concept to fear God. Isn't God supposed to be good and like loving and like a, my, my, my big brother, teddy bear. This type of fear that Scripture is talking about is not just being afraid, but it is fear. Ultimately, God could end us in an instant if he wanted to. He is the supreme being over all creation. This, this fear isn't, isn't quite the same as being a, uh, afraid of rational things like reckless driving or poisonous snakes. But we're called to fear God. We're called to fear God most. 
Why? What is, what is there to fear about God? Let me help you remember that it was God who destroyed the world in a worldwide flood. But he saved Noah and his family and all the animals. It was God who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone. Gone. It's gone. Burned up to a crisp, but he saved Lot and most of his family. We did save all the family. She decided to turn back. It was God that sent the plagues on Israel. Those, those were awful. That would have been straight up the worst time ever if you're an Egyptian. God did that. God sent the plagues, but he freed his children Israel. It was God that poured his wrath on Jesus. But by Jesus' death and resurrection, provided the way of salvation. God is the most powerful, the most loving, tender, kind, gracious, and merciful, but he is also all-powerful, something to truly be feared. There's two sides of this coin. We fear God because he is this, this almighty being that is capable of anything. We also fear him in reverence, in awe, in gratitude, in worship. Do you fear God most? Is God your ultimate authority? Do you respect and revere him? This type of fear that God's calling us to is just that, to live obediently to him, for God and his desires to be on your mind. God is the creator. He wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. How is this possible? It's all here right in front of us. Most of us are holding one of these today. It's all in his word. How do we grow in our fear of God? Go to his word. Learn about him. Become saturated in all that who God is. When we read God's word, we get a proper perception of who we are and who God is. So, we ask, do you fear God most? Well, is God's word the highest authority in your life? Does your time in the word demonstrate how much you value this? Speaking of things you value, how much do you value God's word? How much is his, is his word on your mind? How can we possibly understand this God and fear him if we really don't know a lot about him? The more time we spend in Scripture, the more he will shape us and shape our perception of who he truly is. They say that respect is earned. I don't know if you guys have heard that. And I, I think I believe that. If someone is not a very respectable person, it's kind of hard for them to demand respect. I ask you today that you give God chance to earn your respect. You might not really respect God as fully as he deserves it. And that might be because you're not spending time in his word. The more time you spend in God's word, the more you'll understand who he is and your fear and adoration of him will grow. We go to his word to see what he has done, to see what he has said, to see what he has promised, to see what he has given. The more time we spend in God's word will give us a better view of him. So what is competing for your fear of God? And this might not be you this morning, but this was me at one point in my life. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a boss or a job that you want. Maybe it's a person in your life that's causing you fear. Maybe it's actual dangers in this world or natural disasters or even the air quality could be something that you fear. It could be sickness. It could be failure. It could be uh, fear within relationships versus God. Ultimately, all these things, there is the natural answer found in God. Do we feel danger? Do we feel failure, sickness over God's sovereignty, God's promises, the hope that we can have in Christ? These are real things in our lives. Sorry if today's a bit of a downer, but I really want to encourage you with this. These are real things in our lives that can compete for the highest seat of authority in our lives, of what we fear, what we revere. 
But truly, only God deserves that seat. Only he knows how to guide and lead and guide and direct our lives the way that's best. He should be what's most important. It's him that saved us. It's him that has given us a family. It's God who has given us and promised us eternal life. So I encourage all of you today, in this moment, if any of the things I listed was true for you or if there's something I didn't mention, I encourage you to surrender that over to God. You can give it to him. You can trust him. Surrender whatever you fear over to God and give him the proper seat in your life. Give God the throne. Value his words. When you read scripture, if there's something you have a hard time with, wrestle, wrestle with that. Talk to people about that. Ask questions. Take God's word seriously. Do it for wisdom. Do it for God's glory and your usefulness for him. True wisdom is to be directed according to God's will, over our own will, over our own understanding. Ultimately, wisdom is to seek God's kingdom first. Don't worry about the rest. God will take care of that. The more we know God, the more we will want him and we won't want evil. The more we'll desire him and have a lesser desire for evil. So, transitioning to the final part of this passage, what is evil? How do we turn away? Really simple answer, Sunday school question, Jesus. Jesus is the answer. If we draw closer to Jesus, the more we do that, the less we will have a desire for sin, the more he will work on us and sanctifying us. How do we do this? How do we draw closer to Jesus? Spend time with him daily. Huge shock. But going to him in his word. Today, I really want to encourage you guys, read your Bibles. Really read your Bibles. Don't come to church on a Sunday expecting that to be the place where you're you're fed for the week. Imagine you just ate one time a week and that's a few snacks here and there. That's not enough. God wants to do so much more than you could ever conceive with your life. But you don't know what he has prepared for you and you're not being equipped by what he's given us in his word. But why do we go to the word to grow closer to Jesus and, and, and why Christ in relation to wisdom? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30 says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Colossians 2, verses 2 to 3 says, To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom were hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is wisdom. You might have figured that out already. Jesus is wisdom. And what we know about wisdom is that it is valuable. That means that a relationship with Jesus, a close relationship with Jesus, is the most valuable thing that you could pursue in all of this earth. If you have a relationship with Jesus, that means you have a relationship with wisdom. You need not search any farther. Here it is. You have it. If you are in Christ, you have a relationship with wisdom. You have his wisdom. The question is, how close is your relationship with, with wisdom? How close is your relationship with Christ? Are you growing deeper in your walk with Christ and also wisdom? Like I mentioned before, to do this, we read his word. We spend time with Jesus, reading the Bible how is reading the Bible a time with Jesus? It might seem a challenging concept because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is also with us. How, how is reading his words, like if I read a letter from somebody, I'm not with them. They're wherever they sent the letter from. It's so much different with Jesus. Let me explain that for you. John 1 Verses 1 and 14, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Word of God incarnate in the flesh. Jesus is with us. He's with us and he has given us himself. This is the most physical form, apart from our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we have with Jesus. How could we possibly neglect that? 
I remember when I was little and someone was like, oh, if you could like, meet anybody, who would you meet? I'd be like, Jesus. Like, of course, Jesus. I want to meet Jesus. Little did I understand at the time that I could have just as close a relationship with Jesus as if you're right there with me by spending more time in his word. Not only is Jesus the word, Jesus is the living word. All scripture points to Jesus, and Jesus is in all of scripture. Do you want to grow closer to Christ? Do you want to grow stronger against your fight of of sin? Read the word daily. Let him change you. So how do we discern evil, though? Romans 12, verses 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed by the living and powerful word of God. If you are missing this, you will continue to miss out. You will not be able to discern what is evil, what is sin, what is wrong, and you will not know what is good And you won't even understand that Jesus has given you the power to fight it. But you're not alone. We have the Holy Spirit in us. God is three in one, Father, Spirit, Son. We are connected to God every single day. He is right here with us. He is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us to help us fight, to help us live victoriously. Ephesians 6.12 says we wage war not against the spiritual realm, not against things that we can see, and also lists out how we can defend ourselves. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Galatians 2, verse 20 talks about explains to us how our flesh is crucified. Romans 6.11 explains to us that we're dead to sin, but alive in Christ. Galatians 5.16 calls us to walk in the Spirit. 1 Peter 3.18 explains that Christ died to put to death our flesh. Our flesh is dead. It's dead. Don't try and resurrect that zombie out of the grave to have control over your life. Jesus has control over your life. And lastly, Proverbs 8, verse 13, connects this whole thing all together that Job 28 lays out. Both aspects. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Do you hate sin? Do you hate the the effects of our fallen world? Do you hate the twisted truths, the twisted wisdom, the fake realities that people try and push down your throat to say, do this, do that. If you want to be right, you got to agree with this, you got to agree with that. What does Scripture say? This is the highest authority in your life because God should be the highest authority in your life. We have what we need to fight evil. We have what we need to live righteously. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. If we adore God, we hate sin. We hate what is evil. To illustrate turning from evil and what exactly that looks like, I want to tell you a little bit of a, a little story of what happened last year. I think, um, Tim, you were there. He's like, what are you going to say? <laughs> so last year, we went on a men's um, camping trip, which included a hike. It was all, like, really fun up until one moment. <laughs> so imagine you're hiking uh, in the Laurentians, beautiful Laurentians. If you haven't gone up north, it's like an hour. Come on, so easy. Get a car, drive up north, hike up to the mountain, and you will meet God face to face in his creation, as his word says. So as you're hiking through the woods, you're taking in all the beauty, breathing the fresh air, not the city air, especially if you live more downtown where there's literally a building just blowing its exhaust in your face. As you're walking along, you're also keeping track of the markings on the trees. As you're going, you might come across a part in the trail that goes two different ways. It's possible that if you're not paying close attention, you might take the wrong turn. In the instance of our camping trip, there wasn't really anyone taking the lead. We were kind of just going on our way back, and we took a wrong turn. And it took us a lot farther than we wanted to go, 
and kept us a lot longer than we wanted to take. We, the ranger was really upset. He's like, you guys got to go to this campsite. We're like, we know. As we're like eating some eggs and folding up our tents. Ultimately, if you want to stay on the path that's been marked out on this trail, you have to pay attention. You might notice some unmarked trails here and there and be like, ooh, what's that? I wonder if that leads to something cool. If you turn onto those paths, you will miss out on what has been crafted and carved out in wisdom for you to hike on, destinations to go to, things to see. You will miss out. And probably if you turn on one of those unmarked trails, you might stumble across a bear because those trails have been probably made by wildlife. That's something my mom taught me. I was like, oh, let's go here. She's like, that's probably been made by a bear. Don't go there. Nice little rhyme to remember. Like I said before, if you take a wrong turn, if you're following the path, you're like, okay, I have two hours. This is the path I'm going to take. If you take a wrong turn, it will take you farther than you wanted to go and will keep you longer than you wanted to take. You need to stay in the trail. In order to do so, you have to pay close attention. If you do, you will arrive at your destination. You'll get to that mountaintop. You'll see, wow, this is amazing. Ultimately, shortcuts do not get you what you were hoping to accomplish. When you take the wrong turn, you'll end up in the wrong place. This is similar to ignoring God's word. In holiness, what he crafts out to us, what is holiness, there just are no shortcuts. There are no replicas to true holiness. You could attempt to fool people. You could attempt to put on a facade of righteousness, of holiness, to try and fool people like the fake watch, but ultimately that's not the real thing. You could try and, and fool people that you're wise. My dad used to say, if you just keep your mouth shut, people think you're really smart. And it's true. It worked. I fooled people. I'm not actually that smart in terms of books. I have to work really hard. Um, ultimately, it's just not the real thing. If you want the real thing, if you want true holiness, if you want wisdom, you have to do it according to God's ways and his work in your life. If you go your own way, you will fail. And similarly, sin, you'll fall into sin when you go in your own way. Sin will take you longer, take you farther than you wanted to go and keep you longer than you wanted to take. That's the reality. You will miss out on things, beautiful things that God has for you if you don't pay attention to what he's calling you to. So how do we stay on the right track? How do we turn from evil? We need to know what is evil and what is good, right? It's not just about what we're turning away from, but rather what or who we're turning to. We need to look to Jesus. Look to Christ. Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sealed at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus paid the high price to set you free. You are liberated from the fake and phony replicas that the world has to offer God offers you a much better option, the real thing, the real deal, true wisdom, true insight. How do we get there? How do we turn from evil? How do we live righteously? Go to Jesus. Turn to him. Gaze at his beauty. Adore him. Worship him. Be consumed by who Jesus is. My life was radically changed when I began to understand this. I realized that it's not about just trying really hard or even like slapping your wrist to try and not sin or about just trying really hard to live right and do the right things. And even I did it for all the wrong reasons. So people are like, oh, that's a good Christian. He's a, he's a good guy. Deep down, I knew the truth. No matter how good we are or how much we fail, when we are in Christ, our identity, our identity is secure in him. Our relationship with Jesus is unchanged. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we fail, we are identified by Christ. We are named by Jesus Christ. We are adopted and sealed in the family of God at salvation. 
So God's purpose is to make us into the likeness of, likeness of Christ, ultimately. This is wisdom. If wisdom is Christ, and God's calling us to pursue wisdom by his ways, he's calling us to be like Jesus, useful and fruitful. We can't do this alone. We need Jesus, and we have Jesus. So draw near to him. John 15, verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You might think that you are accomplishing good things, but if it's not for God, and if it's not according to his word, it's garbage. It's nothing. Only with Christ can you bear much fruit. I was in Portugal, and we went to this ministry property, and they had oranges. Those oranges, those orange trees were so fruitful, they had more oranges than they knew what to do with. They didn't have enough people to distribute all the oranges that were coming from those trees, and there were so many oranges. We were literally just goofing around, playing with each other, eating oranges all day, having way too much vitamin C. Let's be like those orange trees. If you draw near to Christ, if you abide in Christ with him, you'll bear much fruit. You'll be that desirable tree, that desirable vessel that is able to give life to this world. Is able to be a part of revival, a part of change in people's lives for God's glory. When we abide in Christ, he does the work. Stop trying so hard to do this on your own, to do this according to your own understanding. Go to Jesus. With Jesus, we can turn from sin and towards righteousness. I urge you, make Jesus your number one. Make Jesus your primary in your life because Jesus equals wisdom. As you draw near to Christ, you will grow in wisdom because you will have the wisdom that is Christ that has been created by God. This is very desirable. This is very worthwhile and it's yours. You have it. So, Today, I encourage you, don't wait. Why, why wait for eternity to have our glorified bodies to, to grasp what eternal wisdom really looks like? You can have that today. I was not expecting that. Let me tell you that right now. When I started growing my walk with Jesus, I was not prepared for the insight and discernment that he was prepared to give to me. This will radically change your whole life. And you'll have the opportunity to change lives around you. For me, I, I want that. I want that. I want to keep that. I want to continue growing in that. And I, and I call you to pursue this. Be saturated in Scripture. Be saturated in Jesus. Draw near to him. Ultimately, if you only hear me saying, just read the Bible which is really primary. I don't want you to not hear that. Please do hear that. That's just one way, actually, that we can draw near to Christ, that we can grow in wisdom to fear God and turn from evil. We can listen to solid Christian podcasts or sermons, read really good books and articles. But ultimately, those are things we can do by ourselves. And there's just no hermit Christianity that works. We've been made for each other. We've been made for a community. We can grow in our walk with Jesus, in Christian community. These are all great places. So I want to mention three ways, and then we'll be done. Change group. This is probably, I'd say, one of the best ways to grow in wisdom, to grow in your walk with Jesus. A real change group essentially looks like two or three guys with guys, girls with girls, that get together regularly. You read God's word you apply it and challenge each other. You're honest and vulnerable with each other, sharing accountability, confessing and encouraging each other. And then you pray for each other and for people in your lives that don't yet know Christ that they will meet Jesus. That's change group. If you're not in a change group, you could join one today. If what I'm describing about wisdom and a deeper walk with Christ seems interesting to you, please join a change group. If you're in a change group, but you're not doing it the way I just described, you're not actually in a change group. I'm sorry to burst 
your bubble. Um, you're kind of just hanging out and having fun, which is really good. Do that. Keep doing that. But I urge you, do it, do it right. Do a real change that way. It's through the, um, the work that God will do in you through his word, through being accountable with each other, that really awesome and crazy things will happen. You'll be able to say like, hey, you're, you're, you're pointed this way. You should be pointed this way. Help direct you away from fake wisdom to true wisdom. Another way, of course, is city group. And what I mean about city group is really belonging and being a part of a city group, not just going to a city group sometimes. Like, oh, yeah, that's my city group. How often are you there? How often are you with that family? How often are you living on mission, serving, and growing with that family? Once a month? Once every other month? You're not actually committed to that city group. I, I encourage you, if you really dedicate yourself, and this will require sacrifice. This will require you to maybe move things around in your schedule or maybe join a group that works in your schedule. But commit to that. Join a city group. Talk to us today at the back to find out how to join a city group. But when I am calling you into this, as you devote yourself to that group of people, you'll be able to challenge each other with what is, what is good and what is not, what is wise and what is false wisdom. Being a part of a city group will help you become more aligned to Christ and more aligned to true wisdom. And lastly, we, ourselves, can be vessels of wisdom, divine outpours of God's true and good, precious wisdom. So I encourage you, if you're in that place, if you've grown to the place where you do have the wisdom of God, his word is hidden in your heart, and you do understand things, you do have insight, you do have discernment, you're able to see, hey, Joe over there doing this thing, someone should say something. You can say something. You can be the voice of reason in others' lives. You can be that person to ask people the hard questions but then to lovingly and boldly speak the truth to them. You can be an agent of change. And not just in what you say, but also in how you act and how you speak. And don't, don't be stressed about this. If you are truly being shaped and molded by Christ, by his wisdom, that wisdom will guide you of when it's the right time and when it's the right place and which is the best way. If we, if we do this as a church, if we start becoming vessels of wisdom that really pursue what's more valuable than anything on earth, God will do incredible things in our church. I believe this is how revival will start. If we start being vessels of wisdom, doing work for God, eternal work, is so valuable. If God is your treasure, he will give you his wisdom and he will lead and guide you in all things, for his glory and for his kingdom. You don't have to necessarily stop anything you're doing. Just shift it to God's glory and be where you are as divine distributors of God's wisdom. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it shapes and molds us. God, I pray that you would purify us and refine us into pure gold, vessels worthy for your work and for your purposes, wherever we are. God, align our passions and desires to your word. Align our hearts to you. And God, make us people that are wise and distribute your heavenly wisdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.